Well, if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling this evening, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read. James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 7 down to the verse marked 11. We're going to leave out verse 12 this week and fit it in next week. James chapter 5, uh, let's just read again at verse 7 and verse 8. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so what we can see from verse 7 onwards is that James is, he is starting to bring his letter to its conclusion. And as we've said since the beginning of our study in the letter of James, uh, we are to consider it as a handbook to, to Christian living. James's concern is that we apply the gospel in our lives and live out our Christian faith in a practical way. And this handbook to Christian living it was written for those who love Jesus and desire to live in submission to his word. Now, this letter was written for us so that we would not only be hearers of God's word, that we would also be doers of God's word. But as we know, the original audience, the original hearers of this message, this letter... Uh, they were Christians who were young in their faith and they were experiencing persecution for their faith. And as persecuted Christians, they had been dispersed and they had been driven out of their homes to live in uh, cities, foreign cities, outside the land of Palestine. And because the church, or these churches, were all in their infancy and there was no real structures, there was no forms of discipleship, these, and these young Christians, they were living in this hostile environment, a hostile environment, an environment that was hostile to the gospel. And because of a, a lack of discipleship, it caused a lot of issues in the church. The young Christians, they were surrounded by temptations that caused discrimination and gossip, backbiting, pride, jealousy, boasting, all these different issues. But the root cause of all the problems was their immaturity. They needed to grow as Christians and they needed to mature in their faith. And so James writes to these Christians to encourage them and to say to them that living out your faith in a fallen world, it's not an easy task. And so James says you need to grow as a Christian. You need to persevere in your Christian faith. You need to be steadfast in your witness. And you need to be devoted in your love of Jesus and your love of his cause. James says you need patience. And you need prayer. And that's how James brings his letter to a conclusion. He speaks about patience and about prayer. James emphasizes the need for steadfastness and faithfulness. And you know what's interesting is, is that that's how James began his letter. He began by writing to these struggling disciples who had been persecuted for their faith and constantly bombarded by all these temptations. James starts at the beginning of his letter and he says in chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness or perseverance, let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect, that you may persevere and be complete, lacking in nothing. And so when James opens his letter, he began by encouraging and teaching these Christians to remain steadfast and persevere. And what we see at the end of his letter is that James returns to the same theme. He concludes the same way he began by encouraging and teaching these Christians and us to remain steadfast in our faith and to persevere to the end. And as I said, God willing, we'll see both this week and next week as we conclude our study in the letter of James. What we'll see is that James highlights for us two characteristics that every Christian must possess. Two characteristics that we must possess in order to remain steadfast and persevere. And these two characteristics are patience and prayer. Patience and prayer. And we can see that from the number of times uh, James mentions these words, patience and prayer. He mentions them so often in these closing verses. And so in conclusion, as we come to the conclusion of the letter, James is going to encourage and teach us about patience in suffering and prayer through suffering. Patience in suffering and prayer through suffering. And we'll consider patience in suffering uh, this week and then, God willing, next week, prayer through suffering. And so I'd like us to just look at patience in suffering, verses 7 to 11. And I'd like us just to consider this section under three headings. Three headings. Patient parousia, I'll explain that in a minute. Patient prophets and patient promises. Patient parousia, patient prophets and patient promises. So if we look firstly at patient parousia, look at verse 7 and 8. He says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now the word parousia, it's the Greek word for coming. And when it's used in the New Testament, it's always used in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And James uses it twice in these verses, in verses 7 and 8. Because in verse 7, James says, Therefore, brothers, be patient for the parousia of the Lord. And then in verse 8, James emphasizes that our need to be patient and persevere and remain steadfast in our faith, it's because the parousia of the Lord is at hand. It's drawing near, he says. And what James is saying is that we need to live out our lives as Christians in light of the second coming. Because he says, when we do, when we have an eye towards the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, James says that we will live out our lives with purpose and perseverance and passion towards the things of Christ and his church. And what James is saying to us is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, there is suffering in this life. Yes, there will be persecution, there will be divisions and illness and heartache and sorrow and we will encounter these things because we live in a broken and fallen world. But he says we must be patient. We must remain steadfast in our Christian faith and persevere to the end. 
Because we do not know, he says, when Jesus will come again. We don't know when the parousia of our Lord will take place. And so we have to be passionate and persevering and patient. And you know, if anyone's stressed about the need to be faithful and have this eye towards the second coming of Christ, it was Jesus himself. Because time and time again in the Gospels, when we read them, Jesus speaks about his parousia, his second coming. And Jesus speaks about the parousia both positively and negatively. He speaks about it negatively for the unconverted. He speaks about it to those who are, who are uncommitted, who are not persevering in the faith and not looking to Jesus as their saviour. And Jesus reminds them, as he does in Matthew 24, he says, When the Son of Man comes, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. But of that day and hour, says Jesus, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. And then Jesus goes on to say, as, in, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And they did not know until the flood came and it took them all away. And Jesus says, so also will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Watch therefore, because you do not know at what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. He would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, he says, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you think not. And it's solemn words. And I'm sure I've told you before the story about Andrew Bonar, who was a free church minister during the 19th century. Uh, that when one evening, uh, Andrew Bonar came down uh, from the steps of his pulpit after preaching and he, he spoke with some of his elders at the bottom. And Andrew Bonar, he individually asked all his elders the same question. Do you think the Lord will come tonight? Do you think the Lord will come tonight? Do you think the Lord will come tonight? And they all replied with the same answer. I think not. I think not. I think not. And Andrew Bona reminded his elders of the words of Jesus. By quoting Matthew 24 verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not. The son of man cometh. And for us, my Christian friend, Jesus repeatedly gives us this warning. And he told us many parables in order to emphasize the seriousness of the parousia. Because Jesus told the parable, as you know, of the wise and the foolish virgins. In which there were these wise women who had oil in their lamps and they were ready and waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. But there were also those who were foolish. And they didn't have oil in their lamps. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They weren't persevering to the end. Jesus also told the parable of the talents. And he stressed that we're not to bury our talent. We're not to bury the talent that the Lord has given to us to use in his kingdom. Because we are to invest our lives in the kingdom of God. Because when the master comes, he will say to us, or will he say to us, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy God. And there's also the parable of the sheep and the goats. And all these parables, they're there to stress to us the seriousness of the second coming. The sheep and the goats, was, which the sheep, they did everything for the Lord. And they would be welcomed into the kingdom that was prepared for them. But the goats, who said that they did, well, they said that they had plenty of time. And they did plenty in the Lord's name, but they actually did nothing. The goats were told, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, Jesus doesn't mince his words. And he certainly didn't mince them when it came to the second coming. Because he repeatedly said, watch therefore. Watch therefore. You do not know when the master is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, in the morning. And he says, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. And you know, it's for this reason that James is stressing to us that we need to live our lives as Christians in light of the second coming. We have to have an eye towards this, this parousia and live out our Christian faith with, with purpose and perseverance and passion towards the things of Christ and his church. And as we can see in verse 7, James gives us uh, his own illustration on a doll. He gives the illustration of the farmer. The farmer who went and prepared his ground and then he went out into his field and he, he sowed his seed. He scatters the seed on the ground. And it's a, it's a very natural illustration of, of patience because when the farmer sowed his seed in the morning, it would look no different by the evening. Nothing would have changed. He went out into the field in the morning, sowed the seed. And then when he looked at his field at the end of the day, it hadn't changed at all. The results weren't instant. He had to be patient. He had to wait. And he had to wait upon the Lord. He could do very little to effect the outcome of the crop, except to pray and wait upon the Lord to provide rain. And for the farmer in Palestine, his crop was completely dependent Upon the rains. The rains that would come in the late autumn. And the early spring. He couldn't do anything to make the sown seed make root. Or take root. And produce the precious fruit of the earth. He had to be faithful in sowing. And he had to be faithful in praying. And waiting upon the Lord. To grant growth and increase. And you know that's what James is telling us as the Lord's people. We don't know when the precious fruit of, of new life and new birth and uh, being born again. We don't know when that will happen in people's lives. We don't know when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen and with whom it's going to happen. Because just like the farmer's seed, we don't know what's going on under the surface of the soil. We don't know what's going on in someone's heart. We just have to be faithful in our sowing of God's word. In our sowing of the seed. Both in season and out of season. We have to persevere in our Christian witness. And we have to be patiently waiting upon the Lord in prayer. And we have to pray for the rain to come. To pray that the Lord would open the windows of heaven. And shower his blessing upon us. My friend, we have to be faithful in our sowing. 
We have to persevere in our witness. We have to patiently pray. As we were singing, uh, pray that Hermann's dew would fall upon this dry parched land. That's what we were singing in Psalm 133. Hermann's dew that fell. Because it fell like rain. As he says, as Hermann's dew, the dew that doth on Zion hills descend. For there the blessing God commands. Life that shall never end. And so we're to have our eyes towards the parousia of Jesus. We're to be watching and praying. We're to be patient and persevering because Jesus could come at any time. And that's what he actually says to us in the close of this book of Revelation. The final word that Jesus gives us in the last chapter of the Bible, he says it three times, Behold, I come quickly. But you know, this parousia, the second coming of Jesus, it should also be a great comfort to us. We often view the second coming of Jesus as uh, something that's negative because, well, it's the day of judgment. And for the unconverted, it will be something negative. But for the Christian, it will be vindication. Because of the second coming of Jesus, King Jesus will right all wrongs He will end all injustice. He will deliver his people from suffering, whether that's persecution or physical suffering, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Which means that as Christians, we should look forward to the day of the Lord, to this parousia. We should have our eyes towards the Lord's coming, watching and waiting, being patient and persevering. And that's how Paul encouraged the believers in In Thessalonica. You remember in his first letter. The end of chapter 4. Paul says to the Thessalonians. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. With a shout. With the voice of an archangel. With the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive. Will and, and remain. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. And then Paul adds, therefore comfort one another with these words. So the parousia is to be uh, something of a, a comfort for the Christian. That the Lord will bring an end to all things. And you know, that's how Jesus comforted his own disciples. He reminded them that he was coming again. You remember in John 14, in the upper room, Jesus told the disciples that he has to go. He has to go away. And they couldn't understand why. Couldn't understand why the Lord has to go. But Jesus says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so, my friend, we're to be patient in suffering. And we're to be patient in suffering as we await the parousia, the second coming. And we're to be patient by persevering and remaining steadfast in our faith. But secondly, we see that patience in suffering was exemplified by the prophets. 
patience and suffering was exemplified by the prophets. So if we look secondly at patient prophets, we've seen patient parousia, but secondly patient prophets. He says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Uh, James, he, he begins this next section in verses 9 and 10 by talking about grumbling and speaking against one another. And you know, at first glance, it may be difficult for us to understand where all this fits into the idea of being patient and suffering. <coughs> but when we think about it, at the times we often grumble and moan and complain is when we're facing difficult circumstances. And we grumble to those closest to us or we grumble against those closest to us. We take out all our frustration on our wife or our husband or a friend because we know them so well. And we grumble against them and we even fall out with them. Uh, not because of any problem in the relationship itself but because of pressures and stresses out with the relationship. And these things get to us. They frustrate us and they cause us to be uptight and maybe even grumpy with those around us. Well, I'm like that in a way. I don't know about you. But you know, we take it out on those closest to us. And we grumble. We moan and groan and we're grumpy because of all the pressures and stresses and strains of life. Whether they're pressures from work or frustration because of illness or difficulties with growing children or aging parents, their financial worries or even, even just tiredness. They're all factors that play a part in our grumbling against those closest to us. And you know, it seems so natural to think that James's original readers, they were under the same or similar, similar pressures, but even more so because of their persecution. And this grumbling which James mentions... It relates just to what he was saying in chapter 3 about our tongue and our use of the tongue towards others. But you know, what's interesting about all this and how it all fits together is that we were talking about this last night at the Discipleship Explored course. And we were looking at Philippians chapter 4 where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Paul goes on to say, let your reasonableness, let your patience be known to everyone. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord has drawn near. The parousia is coming. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in, prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. <coughs> let your requests be made known unto God. And what the presenter Barry Cooper was saying on the DVD last night, was that we spend our, our lives worrying. And we waste time fretting and with nervousness and sleeplessness and stress. And we worry about so many things, whether it's money or health or our looks or job or our jobs or security or our families or our futures. And while we're worrying, he says, we're worrying about worrying. And he says that we even use the frustrations and stresses and strains of life to excuse ourselves when we grumble against someone, whether it's our husband or wife. And, well, we grumble against them and we excuse ourselves by saying, well, I couldn't help it, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm under a lot of pressure. 
But Paul teaches us in Philippians 4 that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And that doesn't mean we're to have a smile on our face while we suffer. It means that we're to look to the Lord and rejoice in the fact that he knows the way that we take. He knows everything about our situation. He knows all our circumstances. And because he knows all our circumstances, we can go to him in prayer with everything. And you know, we're never to view anything as too trivial for the Lord. He's our Father in heaven, our Heavenly Father. He knows everything about us. And so we can talk to him about everything and anything. And we're to bring everything to him in prayer. And that's what we were saying last night about the, the beautiful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And the hymn writer says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer, he says. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And so in order to guard against grumbling and stress, he says we're to rejoice in the Lord always and bring every prayer and petition before him. And I know that sounds so easy, uh, theoretically, but it's so, and we all know that it's so difficult in reality. But you know, this is what James is saying to us. And it's what he said at the beginning of his letter about rejoicing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of various kinds. And you know, in order to illustrate to us those who patiently suffered and rejoiced in their suffering and remained steadfast and persevered and continued in prayer, in order to illustrate it, James says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And you know, it's an interesting illustration because we wouldn't immediately think about Old Testament prophets as those who patiently suffered and rejoiced in their suffering. They certainly spoke in the name of the Lord. They all had the, the trademark phrase, thus saith the Lord but we don't often think of them as those who suffered. But they did. And they suffered greatly. In many different ways. They suffered persecution from the Lord's covenant people. Because their role as prophets was to call the people back to serving the living and true God. Their role as prophets was to proclaim God's truth. And to herald God's covenant. And challenge the Lord's people when they have turned away from worshipping the Lord and turned to idols and, and to false gods. And you know, sadly, the story of the Old Testament, it's a story of rebellion and idolatry. Because the Israelites, they were always turning away from the Lord and they were always turning to idols. And yet, out of his grace and his love and his mercy, the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people. Uh, that and if they refused to repent and turn from the Lord, that the Lord would bring judgment 
And the message that the prophets preached again and again was the solemn message, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Repent and turn to the Lord because judgment is coming. And that was the role of the prophets. Their role was to call the people back to realize the error of their ways and to repent and turn to the Lord and seek him with all their heart. Their role was to ensure that the Lord's people remained committed and that they were committed to loving, honoring, serving and worshiping the Lord. And for that reason, they suffered greatly. They experienced opposition and even hatred. And in some cases, they were put to death. And yet they patiently suffered. Because if we think of Isaiah, just to take one example. When Isaiah was called by the Lord to be a prophet and to speak to the Lord's people. You'll remember in Isaiah chapter 6, beautiful chapter. Isaiah was given that heavenly vision. A vision of the throne room of God. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each one, it had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. And with two, they covered his feet. And with two, they flew. And he, Isaiah describes what was going on. That they're calling one to the other. And saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah says that he heard the Lord saying about his wayward people. To whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the Lord says to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. And keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And then Isaiah asks, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long am I to keep sowing this seed? How long am I to keep preaching this message of coming judgment how long am i to keep persevering with them how long O lord how long and the lord says until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and what the lord sent to isaiah was he was to keep preaching until the Lord would come in judgment. And that's what James is telling us, was telling us in the first section. We're to keep sowing the seed. We're to keep and remain steadfast until the parousia. Until Jesus returns to judge the world. We're to keep on being faithful. And that's what Isaiah did. He remained steadfast. He remained faithful. He persevered with the Lord's message. And he continued to be patient in the midst of suffering. And Isaiah did suffer. He suffered because he proclaimed the truth. He suffered humiliation and shame. You remember he had to walk around preaching naked for two years. And he preached naked in order to show the Israelites that the Lord was going to come in judgment and strip them of everything they had. And the Lord did that. He drove them out of the promised land. And they were exiled into Babylon. They left with nothing. They were stripped of everything. But that wasn't before the Israelites. Hate, uh, before the Israelites killed Isaiah. They hated Isaiah so much. 
that they tied him down and they cut him in two. He was sawn in two. And that's only one example of the Lord's prophets suffering. There were many prophets who suffered and many more who were killed. And yet they all patiently suffered. They rejoiced in their situation and they remained steadfast and persevered to the end. And so as James is encouraging us and teaching us as Christians to remain steadfast in our faith and he's teaching us to persevere to the end. And he says we're to be patient in suffering as we await the parousia. And we're to be patient in suffering by following the example of the prophets. But lastly, he says, lastly and hopefully briefly, he says we're to be patient in suffering by clinging to the promises of God's word. Patient parousia, patient prophets, and then patient promises. Patient promises. Look at verse 11. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James concludes this section about patience and suffering by (coughs) emphasising that those in the past who were patient in suffering and those who sought to be steadfast in their faith and persevere to the end, James says, they were blessed. They were blessed. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And of course, James is referring to the prophets in the previous verse. They are the example. But it's safe to say that it wasn't just the prophets who were patient in suffering and sought to be steadfast in their faith and persevere to the end. Because James goes on to say in verse 11, he says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've heard of the the perseverance, the patience, the endurance of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And Job, as we know, he wasn't a prophet. He was just an ordinary man who experienced extraordinary suffering. Because when we read the book of Job, we see that Job lost everything in only 32 verses. He lost his business, he lost his livestock, he lost his children, he lost his health, and then his wife told him, curse God and die. Job lost everything in only 32 verses. And in the book of Job, he he spends the next 40 chapters trying to understand why. And I'm sure I've said it before that That life can be like that sometimes. Life can change in a moment. Because in 32 verses in the narrative of of your life. Your experience and what you know to be sure and to be secure in your life. It can be turned upside down in a moment. That message of bad news can change your life completely. And like Job you can spend the next 40 chapters of your life. Trying to come to terms with what happened. And throughout those 40 chapters or 40 years. You may be asking yourself. Why? But as hard as it may be to try and understand the Lord's ways. And the Lord's dealings with us. James reminds us here. That when we look at the life of of Job. And all that he suffered. And all that he endured as a, a faithful believer. 
James says that we are made to see that the Lord is sovereign and he has a purpose in all things. Because as Isaiah said himself, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And James says that what Job came to discover through all the awful tragedies of his life was that the Lord was compassionate and merciful. What a discovery. And you know, I believe that the reason Job discovered that the Lord was compassionate and merciful was because he was blessed. He, Job was a blessed man. And that's the position of every believer. We are blessed men and women. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And as I've said before, the word blessed means to kneel. It gives the illustration of someone kneeling before the king with their head bowed and their, their hand outstretched and they're receiving from the hand of the king what they know that they don't deserve. And that's what grace is. We receive what we don't deserve. It's receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we don't deserve. And my friend, Job was a blessed man. We are blessed men and women because we receive from the hand of King Jesus every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. In other words, we graciously receive all the great and precious promises of God's word. We receive them all. Every single one of them is ours to claim. And so what James is encouraging us and teaching us in this, as he begins this closing section, on being patient in suffering. He says that we're not only to keep our eyes on the parousia, the second coming. We're not only to follow the example of the prophets. But we're also to plead the precious promises of God's word. Which have all been graciously given to us by King Jesus. And you know, as you know yourself, there are many great and precious promises in God's word. Many of them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. The eternal God is your refuge. Underneath are his everlasting arms. God is our refuge and our strength. And an ever-present help in time of trouble. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There are so many great and precious promises. And we are to read them, and we are to plead them, and we are to lead others to them. That's our responsibility. We're to read them, plead them, and lead others to them. Because as we patiently endure suffering in this life, whatever that may be, we're to remain steadfast in our faith and persevere to the end, always looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So, keep going. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee that 
Lord, the God who knows all that we go through in life, that nothing is hidden from thee, that everything has been seen by thee from even eternity past. And we give thanks to thee that thou art the God who saw it then, and thou art the God who sees it now. And we bless thee and we praise thee that everything we go through in life is is known to thee. It has been written in thy book, and all our days have been numbered by thee. And that therefore we are able to come to thy throne of grace. And we are able to find there grace to help in time of need. And help us, Lord, as thy people to, to keep pleading the precious promises. To keep looking to Jesus. To be patient in suffering. To persevere to the end. To keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus. And that we, O Lord, would have a faithful witness. Or that we would live our lives that... Lives that glorify thy name and that we would be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That we would be examples in our home and in our family and to those in our workplace and those in our community. That they would see in us the beauty of Jesus, the Christ, the hope of glory. That they would see in us this Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. O Lord, bind us together, we pray. Help us to be faithful. Keep us, for as we know and as we heard, we cannot keep ourselves. Oh Lord, we cannot keep ourselves, but that thou wouldest keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Go before us then, we pray. Do us good. Take away our iniquity and receive us graciously. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in the Scottish Psalter, page 252. Psalm 37, we're singing from verse 3 down to the verse marked 7. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good. And so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God, he'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God, commit him trust, it bring to pass, shall he. Down to the verse marked 7 of Psalm 37, to God's praise.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.